Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. This is a great time to be learning God's Word. And this is a great book to start. It is called The Gospel of John, the fourth of the four Gospels. Of course, that begin the New Testament. John's perspective, as we learned, is different to the other three Gospels, what we call synoptic Gospels, that all see things in a similar way, but have different information one from another. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's Gospel is set apart because of its purpose. It wants to prove, and it does prove, irrefutably, that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God. Those two titles actually go hand in hand. And John only proves it, but when you believe this fact, then you will have life in Christ's name, according to John 20 and verse 31. We are going to remember that John's perspective was unlike anybody else. First of all, he's one of the twelve apostles. Second, he's one of the inner circle within the twelve apostles, along with Peter and James. Then uh, there's something else. John was the adopted son of Mary. In fact, Mary was his dependent. She came to live in his home after Jesus died and rose again. And then, of course, John was anointed with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and became one of the great church leaders. He is the one that went to Ephesus exiled to the island of Patmos, where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, returned to the mainland, and as far as we know, he died of natural causes at an old age. So his breadth of experience and insight is invaluable. And God has blessed us with five books of the New Testament that he wrote. As you know, he wrote the Gospel of John, three general epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also gave us the book of Revelation. Praise God for all that. What we're going to do is, there is a lengthy reading, but I'm only going to read the first four verses to begin with, and from there we will commence our detailed verse-by-verse commentary of the Gospel of John. This is part one of the series. So it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. All right, have you noticed something? If you have any background in the Bible, this sounds very similar to somewhere else, a famous portion of Scripture. Well, that's called the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, because Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 sounds similar to John chapter 1 verse 1. Let me repeat John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It goes on from there. But the key phrase is, in the beginning. And of course, what we will learn is that in the beginning, there was God. So he predates the beginning of time. He predates the creation of the world and indeed the universe. Now, we don't want and can't go into speculation of, well, the common question, if God made the world, 
who made God? And all I can say is that question, while it is seemingly legitimate, is also bound in space and time. God has no beginning and God has no end. He always was, always is, and always will be. We're going to ponder these things as we go verse by verse. But what we can say is that in the beginning, there not only was God, in the beginning, there was the Word, who also was God. Now, let us look at the entire segment here. In fact, what I'll do, a little different than usual, I'll do this section by section, because, after all, we might find ourselves going deeper and a little more timely in some of the key verses. So let's take a look at chapter 1, verse 1 of the Gospel of John. The beginning of John's Gospel, as I said, is like the beginning of Genesis. The difference is semantical, but not theological. Genesis uses the word God, and John uses the word the Word. The word here in Greek is logos, L-O-G-O-S, Logos. And Logos is God's word, which is eternally fixed in the heavens and immutable. That's an important point, because after all, there's all kinds of words. There's the words of people, and there's the words of God. God's word, unlike the word of man, it lasts forever. God's word, as I said, is eternally fixed, immutable, meaning it's unchanging. It's basically forever. When the beginning began, the word was already there. And he was not just with God, this logos, this word. The logos himself was God. The divinity of the word, who is Christ, is asserted from the very first verse of John's Gospel. With God implies a separate personality to the Heavenly Father with, with, without diminishing or dividing the Godhead. In other words, there was the Word, He was there in the beginning, He was with God, He was God, and yet the Logos is separate to the Father or shall we say distinct, but the Logos or the Son of God and the Father are one. There is only one God. But as Christendom has shown, or actually we believe the New Testament, indeed the whole Bible, the Old Testament implies, the New Testament confirms, and it's part of Orthodox, small o, Christianity. There is one God eternally existent, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is part of the great creeds of Christendom, whether it's the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, or the beautiful, lengthy, but very strong Athanasian Creed. The idea of the Trinity is it not only protects the nature of God and protects the doctrine of God, but the, also the thing is that when we believe this, we stay in the right territory. We're worshiping essentially the right God because I'm telling you it's a waste of a life of resource and of an eternity to be worshiping the wrong God. This is an area we've got to get it right. And the Bible helps us to do precisely that.
In John 1, verse 2, we learn that the Logos, or Word, was with God in the beginning. Now, only divinity can precede and predate this time called the beginning. When the beginning happened, that was the beginning of time. But prior to the beginning, there was just God. And God is beyond space and time. The wonderful thing is, though God is beyond space and time, he wonderfully and gloriously intervened in space and time by creating this world and by sending Christ who redeems this world. So the word was God. He precedes and predates time and the beginning. Everything that comes after it has a beginning, which means anything that's created, including us, we have a beginning. And then in verse 3 of John 1, the word is the creator of everything. Indeed, without the word, nothing was created that could be made. He is that indispensable. And can I just say that it's not just in Genesis that we learn about creation. It's not just in John that we have this allusion to creator and especially Christ's role in it. We also have it in Colossians where it says, let's try chapter 1 verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So this is an important point from Colossians. This is by revelation. We can't prove it in a scientific way because we're talking about the metaphysical. We're talking about something that's immeasurable. We're talking something that's beyond the reach of human senses. And yet, for sure, there is a world, indeed a universe, that is out there even though human senses are limited and how far they can go. Colossians is telling us pretty much what Genesis is telling us and what John is telling us too, that there was a creator in the beginning and that through him all things consist. We can believe it, we can dismiss it, but all I can say is it is by revelation and we believe one day everybody, whether they are good or evil, will stand before the Creator. So he is indispensable. Through him, all things consist. Then we have this amazing word, the Logos, of verse 4, that in him was life, which is bestowed on everyone, and this life was the light of men. Now, of course, it depends how you want to define life, mere normal human life or abundant eternal life. The abundant eternal life especially is the light of men. People who have the new birth, the forgiveness of sins, and the eternal life, they are the light of the world, according to Matthew 5, verses 13 and 14. So they have the light that is the light of men. Let's continue and read a few more verses here in John chapter 1. It's very beautiful. It's very wonderful. And the light shineth in darkness, that's verse 5, and the darkness comprehended it not. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's verses 5 to 9. What can we learn from these about the glorious nature of Jesus Christ? We learn in verse 5, the great light of the word, the Logos, shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot understand it. Even, not only can it not understand it, it can't even stand it. It flees when the light comes. Another interpretation is that the darkness could not overcome the light, try as hard as it might. And this is true indeed. But I still like the first explanation. When the light comes, the darkness goes. Verse 6 of John 1. There was a man, and this is his title, sent from God. A man sent from God. Simple but powerful. Who is that man? Of course, it's John the Baptist. He was the man sent by God. That alone gives him greater authority than many of the religious establishment elite who either questioned him or were suspicious of him or even rejected him. What do we learn more? Verse 7, John came as a witness to the word, the Logos, and to the light of the word. His bearing witness of the light was purposed so that all men through him might believe. Well, that's great. John is not, of course, the Messiah. John didn't even call himself a prophet, although I believe that's what the Bible says he is, even more than a prophet. John is the voice crying in the wilderness from Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. As we're going to discover, John is also the fulfillment of Malachi. I believe it's uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He is the Elijah that's coming before that great and awesome day of the Lord. So John is a prophet, but really he is a witness. He is a witness. He's a forerunner of Messiah. He is among women born greatest of all. But of those born again, they may actually be ahead of him. So he's sent by God. He's a witness to the light so that people will believe. And of course, it's an interesting that while there are shall we say, different pieces of information given throughout the four Gospels. All four of the Gospels do witness to the ministry of John the Baptist and the fact that Jesus was baptized by him. Verse 8 of John chapter 1, the witness. It is stressed that John is not the light. He is not that prophet of Deuteronomy 18. He is not Elijah, although I believe Jesus says otherwise he is the Elijah that is spoken by Malachi. The thing that John says in humility, in modesty, in faith, and of course with anointing and authority, is that he came to bear witness to the light. Indeed he did. When Jesus came and was baptized, it was one of the most powerful events probably in history because the baptizer, John, this great man of God, he now reached the culmination of his whole ministry. The reason he came to the planet was to meet the light, namely Jesus, and to bear witness to him. 
And Jesus, of course, is making his debut on the national and world stage by being baptized of John. And then we have verse 9, the true light. And it says, Christ, who is the word, who is the light, is the one and only true light that has come into the world. John is witness to it. You know, I guess, like anything else in life, there can be counterfeit and false versions. When Jesus is in the picture, he is as genuine as can be. We believe he is the Son of God. We believe he is the way. We believe he is the truth and the life. And that's in chapter 14, verse 6 of John. And because of that, he will never lead you astray. He will fulfill his promises. He will save you to the uttermost. He is with you at all times, even unto the end of the world. How many others can match his amazing and loving ability? And the answer is nobody. He is singular. He is unique. He is altogether wonderful and glorious. So this is the beginning of John's Gospel. And there's much more in store. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.